Are you still chasing down AR from this tax season? Are you struggling to move your practice to a monthly recurring revenue model? With Practice Ignition, you can easily manage your client engagement letters and collect ACH or credit card payments all in one place. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Practice Ignition, later in the episode. It's kind of like when we've had an almost market crash here because the algorithms were selling stock before it almost caused that crash a few years ago in the market. Yeah, the the flash crash. Flash crash, yeah. Yeah, that was all algorithm uh, driven. And when I say algorithm, I'm just talking about a computer program that's using rules to do something. And hey, tie this back to accounting. We accountants know that an algorithm is only going to be so good at, say, classifying transactions in the general ledger that it fails all the time and that you need a human being to look at this stuff to validate it, to make sure it's correct. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. David, how you doing? Good. Attended another conference this week, a virtual conference. Oh, my my favorite. I'm not a big fan of virtual conferences. No, virtual conferences suck. They really do. Um, this is QuickBooks <laughs> Connect's virtual conference. So you kind of have to attend it because you want to make sure you're not missing anything in the news, right? Like, we, we feel obligated. I got to attend this. Yeah, yeah, there might be something big. And so I attended, I really attended a lot the first day, the, the non-accountants day, the small business day. And it was just tough. Like, these virtual conferences are tough. And Intuit recorded everything pre, pre-recorded. Oh, I, I hate that too. It's like I'm watching a YouTube video. Yeah, and, and it just didn't come off very very well. And then the big keynote that day was from Kirsten Bell, the actress. Oh, wow. And, and I don't from, even know what um, she said. From The Good Place, right? Yeah. And, and uh, she was the Frost, not Frost, Frozen girl. Or Frozen, she, uh, she was Anna in yeah. Frozen. Which, which you know, um, we'll talk about desktop in a second. So the feed was running and all the executives are talking and it's all, they're actually showing some pretty cool shit that QuickBooks Online is doing. And the comment threads is all about desktop. QuickBooks desktop. All desktop, desktop, desktop. And, well, like what uh, kind of comments? Oh, like, can I do this in QuickBooks desktop? Can I do this? <laughs> like, it's it's it. Even myself, and I'll talk about a webinar I did regarding desktop here in a minute, but Kristen Bell, I think, summarized the event perfectly. At the end of her talk, she just talked, somebody asked about like what tips, what she'd recommend small businesses? Like, what's her closing thoughts? And her closing thought was remain human. And I thought that was very ironic because all the Intuit executives and VPs that did their talks prior to her keynote looked like robots. And when I say like robots, if you can imagine, we've all seen Mark, Mark Zuckerberg speak. Alex Chris kind of gave that vibe, like a very robotic reading from a script kind of yeah, vibe. Yeah. And it wasn't human feeling at all. And it was really disappointing. And then it's obvious you can do this stuff live because at the end they had a band who was just amazing. And she was singing live and the band's playing live. And she must have had a screen where she could see the comments and she was calling out and interacting with people that were making comments while she was singing. Like, obviously you can make something live cool, but why they chose, especially after last year, this was the feedback last year. People weren't impressed with the recording. So hopefully this is the last, it's the death of the final virtual conference. Yeah, well, now that I've been back in person, I have, I have zero interest in going to any more virtual conferences. I'm going to Sage Transform. We yes. are going to Sage Transform next week in Las Vegas. This is the Sage Intact focused conference that has now been broadened to include all sorts of Sage products now that Intact is part of Sage. 
So we're going to do some interviews there. That'll be really interesting because we're going to hear from the leaders there about the Intact product and the other products at Sage. And we just were at Oracle Suite World and NetSuite and Intact are, I don't know, they're like the QuickBooks and Zero of the mid-market. And what is also be interesting about this is Sage Transform is instead of it being a Sage Intact conference, Sage Transform, in theory, they're going to talk about some of their other products. Yeah. Other Sage products. So that'll be good for us to hear and see some of that. Yeah, that'll be really good. Uh, what else is new? I got my NASBA approval, David. Congratulations. And for those who aren't familiar with the lingo, NASBA, National Association of State Boards of Accountancy, I think that's it. I have been waiting since February to get approved to offer CPE, continuing professional education credits, for my app that I'm building called Earmark CPE, earmarkcpe.com. The idea being that we are going to be able to offer CPE credits to the listeners of this show. So you listening right now, you if you're a CPA or a EA or a CMA, this is happening. It's really happening. You'll be able to download the Earmark app. You can listen to this podcast wherever you want, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or in the Earmark app. Then in Earmark, you would do the quiz to get your CPE credit. So what, can you just like... So- for, for let's say I have a firm and I'm like, hey, we're going to do internal trainings and hey, I want my people to qualify for CP because we did this internal training. Like what, like obviously this process took months, but what is the process in general? Oh, how you get CPE uh, certified? Yes. Well, so you have to become a sponsor and that involves a very detailed application and there's different types of CPE. There's the live kind, which is what you would do if you want to do webinars or in-person trainings. There's the self-study kind, which is what I applied for because I want this to be on demand. There's some other kinds too. And you have to fill out this big application with all sorts of policies and procedures, and you have to submit an example course. And then you wait. You wait a long time because NASBA, uh, when they reply, they say, oh, we are severely impacted by COVID-19. So our 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 time to process these applications has been extended. They never they, they don't tell you exactly how long it's going to take. So I've been waiting since February. I was waiting since February, and I I heard back in October finally, uh, as I was praying. Yeah, I guess it's because they I I don't know Th- this I mean, part. I, I the, can't imagine they have a stack of applications <laughs> they have to go through. Like, are there well, are there millions of people trying to apply for? I don't know how many reviewers they have, but uh, I guess they didn't staff up. I don't know. I mean. I I feel sympathy because a lot of companies, a lot of software developers, a lot of firms started offering or applied to offer CPE credit because of the pandemic. What else are you going to do if you can't go to conferences? Like, well, let's do some CPE webinars or something. But at the same time, I don't have very much sympathy because I'm like, we've been living in a pandemic for two years now. Get your shit together, right? <laughs> so, but anyway, I'm glad to be through it. So the Earmark app will launch in beta this year. And I'll uh, let everyone know listening, of course, when that happens, and you can go download the app. It's not available yet, but you can go to earmarkcpe.com and you can sign up for the mailing list. Just scroll down to the form, fill out your email name, and I'll let you know when it launches and you can get some free CPE. So I can kind of tie some stories back together here to this webinar I did this week um, that really well, set, set me off um, to some breaking news that we'll cover here. Is this a webinar you were hosting or I, Yeah, so I did a in? webinar. I did a combined webinar with Dext, which 
Dutch Prepare, which is formerly Receipt Bank, mm-hmm. and an app called Approval Max. And what I did is I took an email that was in my closed inbox of bills, sent the bill to my custom email address, ap at sunburrapps.com. That forwarded that bill to Receipt Bank. The bill's in Receipt Bank. It scans it. It takes the bill, sends it to uh, Approval Max. Approval Max, you do all your bill approval. I had some automated rules set up. And then it takes it from there, puts it into QuickBooks Online, and then Emilio picks it up to pay the bill. At the you end. did you did a live demo of this? Live demo. Five wow. apps moving live demo across the thing. And <laughs> that is brave, you know what I David. get in the comments or the questions? I refuse to use QuickBooks online. Can quick can I do this with desktop? And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like that's <laughs> like 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 That's the whole it, point of online is to be able to do this. Exactly, right? Like, okay, yeah, you could maybe, but you probably have to download a file or like, you know, no, put it on a floppy disk, carry it over here. You, it, this, it, it's just this, like, come on. Like yeah. it, it just and then, then the next day is QuickBooks Connect and all those comments are in there. So then I just put out a tweet and I, my tweet was basically like QuickBooks um, desktop is like your 32-year-old brother-in-law that lives at home with the parents, <laughs> right? And they just continue that lifestyle because everybody enables it. QuickBooks keeps adding new features to QuickBooks desktop. They add stuff to it. Um, developers, there's a whole industry built to enable QuickBooks desktop. The whole thing, the, the spiff or the commissions around QuickBooks desktop, like the whole thing's set up. Oh, to yeah. enable QuickBooks yeah. Desktop to never grow up. Nobody's the courage to cut it off, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm tweeting about this and it was getting a lot of action and there's a lot of discussion about this on Twitter. And then Seth Feinberg from Accounting Webs wait, says, hey, by the way, Intuit is shutting down QuickBooks Desktop in the UK. Yes, end of lifing it. Well, it's, and I think the year is 2020. Three is going to be the last year? Or January 21st of 2023. So basically you have 12, 13, 14 months. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Center. Often when finance and accounting teams are asked what are some of the biggest challenges they face, you'll hear finding time for analysis and optimization, closing the books on time, and working more efficiently. One of the best ways to overcome those challenges is to lean on technology. Center is next-generation expense management software that makes it easy to automate expense tracking and save finance and accounting teams a huge amount of time. Center has the power and flexibility to adapt to your client's way of accounting for expenses. Think unlimited custom fields, projects, client names, classes, locations, and GL integrations like QuickBooks Online, Sage Intact, and NetSuite. Eliminating those Excel pivot table hacks or repeated hours of manual coding. With Center, employees can easily submit expenses and receipts in real time and say goodbye to the monthly expense report. You'll see what has been purchased with Center as it happens, including unsubmitted expenses. You can even create workflows and rules to ensure compliance with company expense policies. To learn more about how Center can help you add more value to your clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Center. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-E-N-T-E-R. Center Expense Management. One solution, start to finish. We spoke to one of the editors at Accounting Web on this issue. I spoke to John at Accounting Web about this, and we've got uh, that interview for you right now. Hi, John. Thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here, Blake, as always. It's, it's a long time since we've chatted, but I've, been, I've missed it. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for our listeners? Okay. I'm John Stockdyke, the editor-at-large at Accounting Web. Uh, so I've 
Uh, been roving across the landscape, mainly in the UK, for 22 years, uh, and have worked with uh, Seth Feinberg at AccountingWeb.com on and off for maybe about the past five. So uh, I've, I flit between the shores, but uh, been mainly lost in the UK the past few years because we've had a, a lot on our hands with making tax digital going on. Thanks for joining me. So uh, on such short notice today, we had some big news. QuickBooks Desktop is dead in the UK. Uh, it's not dead, but it's 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 sort of the end of life notice has been issued now. For um, it's the thirty uh, first of January, twenty twenty three. So twenty twenty three, first of yeah. January, twenty twenty three. So or thirty first of January. I better check the dates. But twenty, we we sort of worked you know to the UK tax year, but uh, so less than two yeah. years before the plug is pulled. Give me the details. When was this okay. announced? Um, like twentieth of October, users started getting um, emails from QuickBooks UK saying, "You know, sadly, we're um, yeah, no longer going to support the product." You know, outrage, outcries, and outrage was raised pretty immediately on our site and on the QuickBooks community. There, the reason, and it's you know, we've got to talk through it. Is is the UK has got this massive transition to kind of online fi- online filing through a predetermined portal and using particular software APIs so we're just completely overhauling um, our tax season and tax reporting system um, it's it's been a drawn out process with lots of twists and turns you know we got brexit complicated it all sorts of crazy stuff we did sales tax uh, a couple of years ago and it's something i've 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 always been warning into it about that Intuit says they know they know tax compliance. They do it all over the place. You know, North America, it's no problem. We'll we'll, t- we'll tackle it. But they they sort of you know coming into the UK, it's kind of the least opportune moment because they sort of have to keep a hand on both tax systems, the existing self assessment and the new making tax digital, um, and sort of launch. They they want to launch a compliance product to be ready for the new tax regime, and. Just basically, it's it is harder than it looks. <laughs> um, you know, the UK system just keeps twisting and changing, and they keep chopping and delaying. So, so I think I think it's dawned on the developers there that that it's they're, they're, they've bitten off an awful lot. And I have kind of posed the question: to the company is it down to choose between an MTD solution and a desktop solution? Um, and I'm, I'm waiting for an answer on that front. And you mentioned this MTD is making tax digital. This is the uh, requirement in the UK now by law that all of these accounting softwares plug into the the tax software the government is using. Is that yep. somewhat accurate? Uh, that's accurate. Like, there'll be there's a giant sort of government server, and 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 from it, they've now moved the date to 2024 as the implementation date when when everybody. All businesses will have to file quarterly updates on their income and expenses using functional compatible software that will be connected to digital records as well is is required. You can still keep your spreadsheet, you keep your records on a spreadsheet if you want and file using a, a sort of a, a bridging tool that as long as the digital integrity of the data is maintained, you're not cutting and pasting the numbers, it's, it's a feed of some kind. You can use a spreadsheet, but... Uh, you know, for any practitioner, the default solution is pretty much people. People are accepting some, some reluctantly, that 
really, if you're going to do this, you want to do expenses capture on an app, mm-hmm. and you want to feed it to a cloud cloud platform. Just it's if getting every getting all your your clients, especially if you're going to have lots of self employed people on hand. You know, this is this is it's it's they're they're basically throwing four million people at an online filing mechanism that that you know doesn't exist yet. Uh, so it's 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 going to be a fun ride. Um, you know, there's lots of opportunities for practitioners. You know, um, you know, some kind of H and R block style mega tax mega store for uh, for the self employed could could be a great proposition. You know, maybe maybe QuickBooks and you know, Intuit got something up their sleeves there, but um, mm-hmm. it, it's you know, it's a lot of change. You know, a lot of change means a lot of opportunity, but it means a lot of software development costs. So as I say, that's the that's the crux that the QuickBooks UK team has wrestled with and come to their con- currently come to their conclusion. I mean, we've we've had um, we've had other developers in our market announce the the end of life of their products and then actually go back on it. So you know, so there there is a save QuickBooks desktop campaign afoot, um, but mm-hmm, no mm-hmm. word back whether uh, whether you know the uh, the uh, revolting UK accountants will be met and and you know assuaged in any way by QuickBooks. Well, John, thanks so much for jumping on and giving us this breaking news. Really appreciate it. We'll have the link to your article on Accounting Web in the show notes uh, okay. or in the and comments, depending on where you're seeing this. So it sounds like Intuit had to like weigh out, you know, all these making touch digital changes that are happening in the UK. And you only have so much engineering resources and you can't build it for everything. So they chose just to build for QuickBooks Online. And it reminds me of a story I got from Matt Path way back in the day with Zero. I think way back in the day, in the early days of Zero, there was some major Australian compliance thing. I don't know if it was payroll, uh, some sort of sales tax. I have no clue what the compliance issue was. But MYOB and the other desktop players couldn't implement the change fast enough. And Zero was the only one that implemented it and the only one able to do it. And they just got this massive migration because of it. Because they were whatever it was, they were just able to implement this faster and, and distribute it. Which really, truly, because of cloud, you're always going to have that advantage. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of reminds me of this: is like if you just build, if if there's a federal mandate for making tax digital and you build it in the online product, people aren't going to have a choice. So what we need in this country then to finally kill desktop, since the companies don't have the courage to do it themselves, is some government regulation that makes it almost impossible to implement and roll out in a desktop software app. And yet that's not going to happen here. What they did in the UK is never, I just can't imagine it happening in the US. Basically, the UK is requiring that your accounting software be able to file directly into their tax uh, agency, like direct direct connection to file uh, for tax purposes. And like, can you imagine? I mean, the IRS is still using mainframe computers and they just started and fax an machines initiative. and all the paper that's still, yeah. Yeah, they just started using video conferencing. So, I mean, maybe it'll happen, but not for 10, 20 years. I, I, we're, we're way behind in that regard. And as long as we keep, as long as the technology budget of the IRS stays where it's at, <laughs> they're going to be behind. So, anyways, so. I, I thought that was very encouraging news. Like, Quick, Intuit is killing QuickBooks desktop, at least somewhere. Somewhere in the world. Do you want to talk about something that, is close to home to both of us, possibly? Yes. So so Zillow, you know, it's the app everybody gets on their phone to see how much homes are valued around them. Yeah, or or to just, you know, obsessively watch the value of your own home. Or you go on vacation, you're like, maybe we should move here. You start checking out the prices of homes yeah. in the area, you know. It's yes. kind of fun to do. 
Yeah. And yeah. In, in, see, in a see way, what they your play neighbor, See what your neighbor paid for their house. Yeah. And they play middleman, right? And they can help connect you as the shopper to real estate agents. And that's kind of was their business model and their growth for a while. Yeah. Well, in uh, December 2019, they decided, hey, we have all this data. We're so smart. You know, this kind of tech exuberance that exists with a lot of the tech companies out of the Bay Area, they decided they were going to start flipping houses. And they kind of bought too many in Arizona. And that's why I said close to home. And they realized like it's a lot harder than they think. And they weren't able to adapt because even myself going through my remodeling project, it took a year. It took eight months longer than it should have because you can't get labor. You can't get contractors. You can't get materials. So if they buy a house and it needs repairs, they weren't able to fix it and repair it for sale. And it caught up to them. The conclusion here from the CEO said that the company realized it's not in a position to accurately predict where home prices will be in six months, quote unquote, within a narrow margin of error. Yeah. (laughs) This really reminds me of like the companies are trying to automate everything or skill factor, right? Where they couldn't adapt to the market conditions. They couldn't adapt to PPP loans and smaller accounts and bookkeepers could. So if you were a small independent home flipper, yeah, maybe things were rough, but you could adapt and work around these issues that you were having. So I have a slightly different take on this. Yeah. Why, why did Zillow fail? And I think the program was called iBuyer. And the idea was they would make all cash offers to sellers. And the price was determined by the Zillow algorithm, not by a human. So they were able to very quickly make lots of offers and close deals. And then they used that algorithm then to set the price to sell it. The fact that they failed doesn't surprise me because Zillow is notorious for overestimating the prices of homes. If you look at <laughs> right? okay. <laughs> so you look, I mean, at least to me anyway, and the people I talk to, you look at your Zillow price and then you look at your Redfin price and then you look at what people are actually paying for homes and it just seems to be inflated. And I always... I always assumed it was because that's how Zillow got people to use Zillow. Because most people using Zillow are not themselves actively shopping. They're oh, kind of- so because they're, look, they're, they're looking at their own thing. This is like when the olden days of classmates.com, they would send these emails to you and be like, so-and-so viewed your profile. Then you'd log back into the damn site that you haven't been on in 10 years, yeah, LinkedIn right? LinkedIn did that too a lot, yeah. All the dating apps did that too. Yeah, right? yeah. So they always send you an email on like this really hot person would like check out your profile and then you log back into the site and no, they didn't. <laughs> so, so I think LinkedIn or Zillow bought into their own lie or they, they, they thought their algorithm was great. And then they actually tried using it in the real world to do something highly risky and it failed. I mean, they just had a crappy algorithm. So to me, this is a story of turning something over to an algorithm and it failing I mean, this could be the story of this entire decade or this entire century is the power of algorithms to drive growth and also the power of algorithms to drive your business into the ground if the algorithm fails. So they, they took the like human- It's kind of like when the, the, we've had an almost market crash here because the algorithms were selling stock before it almost caused that crash a few years ago in the market. Yeah, the, the flash crash. Flash crash, yeah. Yeah, that was all algorithm uh, driven. And when I say algorithm, I'm just talking about a computer program that's using rules to do something. And hey, tie this back to accounting. We accountants know that an algorithm is only going to be so good at, say, classifying transactions in the general ledger that it fails all the time and that you need a human being to look at this stuff to validate it, to make sure it's correct. And this is why all these apps that say, oh, you know, we'll 
we'll take your bank feed and we'll do your accounting automatically for you and you never have to touch it and we'll produce beautiful reports. It's all crap because nobody has built an algorithm that can that can handle all of the different cases. Same reason self-driving cars aren't self-driving yet. It's because it's really, really hard to get to the 99.9% accuracy that you need to self-drive a car. And it, probably with self-driving cars, you're going to want you know, 100% not crashing, right? Like most people are not going to be comfortable with even a 0.1% risk. Yeah. So I mean, this, this almost killed the entire company. Yeah, like the stock price plummeted. They're going to have to do layoffs. I mean, what a disaster, right? I'm just... So yeah, algorithms. Um, don't put all your eggs in an algorithm basket is my takeaway, I guess. Well, you have to have that human oversight and be the ability to adapt, right? They didn't yeah. adapt. If they just had like somebody with knowledge signing off on these deals, maybe that would have stopped this from happening, right? But they just let it go. And I'm sure that the like the stories in the article are like people just saying, I couldn't believe that they made this offer. It's I was already at my, my agent already told me I was asking too much for this house. And then Zillow comes in and offers me even more. Right? Like it's something that a, a realtor, a human realtor would say, this is insane. Anyway. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Practice Ignition. Are you still chasing down AR from this tax season? Are you struggling to move your practice to a monthly recurring revenue model? With Practice Ignition, you can easily manage your client engagement letters and collect ACH or credit card payments all in one place. Streamline your sales process and upsell your services by allowing your clients to choose from up to three proposal options. Once they choose their desired proposal, the clients select their preferred pricing option, enter their payment details, and sign, all in one place. With Practice Ignition, you can set up automatic payments from your clients on any billing schedule imaginable. Monthly recurring, annual, quarterly, weekly, hourly, even variable unit-based billing for volume-based services. To learn more how Practice Ignition can help your firm eliminate accounts receivable and for 50% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash PI. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash PI. Practice Ignition, online payments designed for CPA firms. Do you want to talk about staffing shortages? I saw a survey, a headline on CPA Trendlines, staffing shortage cripples growth at 40% of firms. A poll by CPA Trendlines shows that about 64% of firms are seeking to add additional staffers, even as 60% of firms are turning away new work due to the crippling shortage of new hands. Now, jobs are being added at a pretty robust rate, 7%, but it's still far short of what's needed to handle economic growth. And what are people doing? Well, they're turning to fully remote employees. There's a quote here from chief recruiter Nancy Allison at RNA CPAs in Tucson, David, in your town, saying that they are turning to hiring fully remote employees, making fully remote and hybrid work permanent for existing team members, and utilizing outsourced services for tax preparation assistance. Does it come to the point where you just start hiring anybody. And, and what I mean by that is there's a, I saw an article about a concrete company and the owner of this company is, said, I'm paying people 20 bucks an hour that have never worked in the industry at all. And I'm lucky if I give them to work two weeks because it's hard work, but you also need some sort of knowledge and skills to like pour concrete. It's an important, it's the foundation of buildings, right? Like, right. like it's an important skill set and has to be done a proper way. And it's just like accounting bookkeeping work, right? 
Somebody has to have the skill set, but there's just no bodies. Like, yeah. where did all the bodies go? It's the it's the great resignation, the labor shortage, the but but the the thing is, everyone's acting surprised, but I am not surprised at all because all the trends before the pandemic were pointing to a major major shortage of professionals. Regardless of the pandemic, I think Re- you're right. Yes. The accounting industry was no. going to have this mass exit at the top end. Of the yeah, no, people cor- aging um, out, right? Yeah, I think it was um, Corn Ferry did a study that I was talking about years ago that showed a gap of millions and millions of professionals worldwide. And so that's why I was always very bullish about becoming an accountant. Like it's a great career path because so many boomers are retiring and the the demographics are such that we just haven't been for generations now replacing. Most families now are not having the the three or four kids that you need to grow the population. They're having one or none. And what do you think is going to happen? It's happening everywhere. It's happening here. In, in America, we've been replacing our population with immigration, but then we tightened down on immigration. So now we're shrinking again. And in China, they did the the one-child policy, which ended up being a total disaster because their all, population is all hourglass-shaped now. There's just not enough professionals. So we're going to have job security for life. That's the nice part. Um <laughs> You know, the, the, the problem is work. Like, it could be really maybe stressful. the goal is to not work. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, well, you need to like find a firm that understands this shortage. And it, well, here's what firms are doing. So they're, they're choosing to hire fully remote workers and they're adopting technology. So for all the developers listening, this is good for you because this is going to accelerate the adoption of technology because you only have two choices. You either turn down the work or you use technology to enable your staff to do more work in less time. Uh, the other option, I guess, is the outsourcing thing. So three options, right? Yeah. And offshore operations, I think, are just going to do great. So I have an article that kind of ties into that, Blake, the you know lack of staffing, and it's causing an emotional drain. So there's an article out of accountancydaily.co, two in five accountants are just too drained to work. So there was a survey of uh, 1,222 UK accountants and ACA students and they found that 41% of them feel that they're unable to carry out work effectively due to low energy, 30% stating they've recently felt isolated. And 56 said they felt emotionally challenged in the last 11 months. And they think a lot of this stress, 33% said it, it's just their work, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, some some COVID put an impact on their work life and personal life. Um, and they 14% said they're constantly under pressure. And I think it, not having enough staff probably weighs in on that. Yeah. Right. The people quit, they don't get replaced, but the workload stays the same. And the firm isn't raising prices fast enough. Most firms are super underpriced in what they do. They undervalue what they do. It's it's a huge challenge. Like this to me is the number one challenge of firm leaders is you have to somehow figure out how to make work-life balance, especially in busy season, better for your staff, or they are going to go find a firm that will. That's where the battle is going to be fought. It's in how many hours am I expecting employees to work? And I think we're going to eventually get to the point where it might sound shocking. We don't have a busy season anymore because the firms that are using technology and processes have figured out how to spread the work out throughout the year. And they've gotten rid of the smaller clients that are low margin and they're just working on the 
a hand, they're, they're working on much, many fewer clients, right? I thought uh, you were going to say there's no busy season because every day is just busy season for the whole entire year. <laughs> like there's no such thing. Well, there's never, firms, you, you can't detect but, a peak anymore. Who's going to want to work at a firm like that, right? Nobody wants to do that. And like I said, the, the talent shortage is such that you can go find another job in two seconds. So is that if, the battleground is kind of for, for accounting firms? I mean, there's plenty of work for everybody, but the competition is not, you're not competing over clients. You're competing over staff. Yeah. And maybe you are oh, competing yeah, over clients because you want to have clients that fit your business no. model really well and your staff and your stress levels and all that. So can I pivot us to another story? Yeah. So- this is another uh, CPA Trendline story. They did a survey on what is stopping you from offering CAS, client accounting services, also known as outsourced accounting and bookkeeping. The top five responses, uh, this is in no particular order, not the right fit for our firm. We don't have the technology for it. It would not be as profitable as our other services. Our clients aren't asking for it. And here's the biggest one. 41% said we don't have the staffing for it. It's the staffing that's stopping them from offering it. We don't have the staffing for it. Well, then how do you, like, how are firms supposed to solve this? Like, like there's, again, it's, it could be it's, decades before the labor pool catches up. So it's, it's about making, uh, working at an accounting firm attractive to staff. So there's a lot that's wrong with accounting firms right now. The partner equity model excludes anyone who's not a partner from participating in the, stock price growth or the the increase in value in a firm, that is a problem that can be fixed. I just did an episode for my Earmark podcast with Matthew May and Kenji Kuramoto from Acuity. They are a top, I think they're now a top 400, top 400 firm, cloud firm, and they are looking at figuring out how to offer essentially what are like stock options or equity to their staff. That's going to happen. The line between partner and staff is going to blur and we're going to have teams instead. And as a manager who's not a partner, you could have equity. It can be done, right? They, we do it Which in could help attract. I mean, that's where all the tech companies attract talent. Yeah. That could help attract other talent to the accounting industry. If that yeah, that pulled me out of public accounting was the, the possibility of getting options in a startup. The other option was stay in a, in public accounting until I'm 65, and then maybe I get a big payout when I leave, you know? Yeah. And I retire. Like, wh what are you going to choose if in a tight labor market? You're going to take the options where you could have a multi-million dollar payout when you're 40 versus when you're 65. Yeah. So, at least for me personally, anyway. So, continuing on this remote work trend, remember how we talked in the past about I think it was the state of Vermont was offering people to move there. They were giving oh, yeah, people this, money. This, this might have even been pre-pandemic, I think. Yeah, pre-pandemic, yeah. the state of Vermont was dealing with a population decline because it's a lot of older folks, retirees, that sort of thing. And they wanted to stimulate their economy. So they were saying, if you move here, we'll give you, I don't know what it was. It was like $10,000 or something, right, to buy a house. And you just had to stay there for a certain amount of time and you could work remotely. Well, this has blown up since the pandemic. And there's a story in the Wall Street Journal about all the different incentives that different cities are offering to people to move. It's it, There are so many now that there are people who are shopping around for places to go. So there's a story about- This is like the new a, credit card points. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you're competing, you're, you, you, in NerdWallet, instead of going there to see that, you can compare the, which cities give you the best benefit, right? 
Yeah, there's this couple that lived in Chicago. They sold their condo. They're like in their early 40s, and they've decided to move to Topeka because Topeka, Kansas, is giving them $10,000 to relocate. And then they can buy a house, obviously, for much less than they would um, pay in, in Chicago. And that could go a long way to closing costs. And how long did they have to stay there? I, I don't know the details. It doesn't go because there's so many of these programs. It's just sort of like a top level overview. So there's a website called Make My Move. It's an Indianapolis-based company called Make My Move, and they act as a listing site for this sort of thing and a portal for incentive programs. The company said there are now at least 24 programs specifically targeting remote workers in the U.S., including 19 that launched since the pandemic began. So we went from five of these programs to 24 of them since the pandemic. So, hey, if you're a cloud accountant listening here and you work remote or you want to work remote, check out Make My Move. Is it a .com, David? MakeMyMove.com? Yeah, I'm on it right now. MakeMyMove.com. It's actually a very attractive, clean website. Yeah. So Topeka pays you $10,000 if you make at least $60,000 to move there. Remote job listings have obviously grown. We all know this. Remote job listings in the U.S. with salaries topping $80,000 reached about 15% of all job listings in the third quarter of this year. That's up from uh, 4% in late 2019. So from 4% to 15% of all job postings. And if you're in like cheaper or more attractive markets, a lot of times, you know, the local commerce for the small business owners, there might be grants. So you as yeah. an accounting firm owner could get a grant to help relocate employees to that city. Mm-hmm. So, and then you could probably directly push that right down to the employee if you want. So you could kind of have your own, you know, benefits. I mean, yes, you want remote's remote, but- if the town you're in is attractive to other remote workers, mm-hmm. you can encourage mm-hmm. them to relocate. So here's some of the places up. that are offering relocation incentives. Topeka, Kansas, Bemidji, Minnesota, the state of West Virginia, Stillwater, Oklahoma, the Shoals, Alabama. Southwest Michigan, $16,000. Yeah, these are definitely a lot smaller little oddball towns that you know, probably aren't on people's radar. Yeah. And if you're looking for a a change of pace, I mean, you could, and I bet you in those towns on a salary that most cloud accountants make, you could live really well. You could live really nice. Unfortunately, your own custom, they will figure out how to get you an offer. You could kind of put your dream. I I love all these cities though on this. That's the great part. Like a lot of these get snow and nasty winters and all the pictures are beautiful. Like, like, (laughs) <laughs> That's the other thing I think you have to yeah. account for. Do you want to go to Bemidji, Minnesota? It looks beautiful. That lake looks great. But what's it look like when it's frozen solid? <laughs> so uh, there's a big disconnect between execs and employees. 44% of execs say that they want to work from the office every day compared to just 17% of employees. And three quarters of execs say they want to work from the office three to five days a week versus 34% of employees. So this is a problem because two-thirds of execs report they are designing post-pandemic workforce plans with little to no direct input from employees. And yet 94% say they were moderate 94% said they were moderately confident that the policies they created matched employee expectations. So there's gonna be a big disconnect because of this mismatch. And I think it's probably gonna happen in accounting. This survey is from the forum, future forum pulse. So it's of all sorts of businesses. But I, I bet you accounting is not um, – accounting is going to be in there, and it's probably even worse, right, where you've got partners who are saying we're going to go back to the office and designing their 
post pandemic policies that way. And the staff are like, no, we don't want this. We're going to quit. Yeah. So another uh, thing is, I guess, to get talent, right, is to acquire. Um, right. The latest example of this would be High Rock Accounting, who is owned by Liz Mason, who's been on the show before, friend of the show. Her firm acquired Minnesota-based the Mobius Group, who's basically another friend of the show, Megan Ganestarno. So she's going to take on the role of being their nonprofit industry leader. So if you're an accounting firm and you want to add CAS, right, or you want to add they, for in this example, they wanted to do a vertical strategy. You probably could have posted a position, but it's probably very hard to full, fill, right? And so mm-hmm. you have to acquire. And you know, is, is that the strategy? If you need to get in good quality people, you just go acquire people's firms and get the bodies that way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be probably both, right? Organic, organic growth, meaning acquiring customers just through sales and marketing, and then bringing in the key people that you need to manage all of that growth through acquisitions. Uh, But one thing that I think is changing is this idea that, at least for cloud firms, that you do acquisitions to acquire clients. It's more to acquire the talent, I think, like this in this case, because we can go out there and we're in the cloud, we can do good sales and marketing and we can get clients for probably less than it would cost to acquire them from a firm. So really, acquisitions are all about talent these days, bringing on the right people to manage those verticals for you, uh, to train your team, the industry expertise that you need, that sort of thing. I think that's, that's where that's headed. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClientHub. Do you struggle to get answers from clients? Is it a chore reminding your clients to send over the information you need to do your job? Introducing ClientHub, an award-winning practice management solution for accountants looking to build better client relationships for a more profitable firm. ClientHub's all-in-one solution combines task management with client communication in one place, meaning you get what you need from clients to unblock workflow and get jobs completed on time. Your clients will love the easy-to-use ClientHub web portal and mobile app. Your team will love ClientHub's automated task management. Each month, ClientHub tasks your clients with whatever you need from them. You can even automatically ask your clients about uncategorized QuickBooks transactions. With ClientHub, tasks and messages are in one place, keeping your staff and clients always in the loop. Nothing falls through the cracks. ClientHub currently has an amazing offer just for our listeners. 25% off your first three months by using promo code CAP25. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clienthub. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. I saw just a side, quick side note, and then we can move on to something else outside of this. But um, Oak Street Funding, they're a branch of First Financial Bank. They specialize in just giving loans to CPA firms. They're now going to allow, provide, they're doubling the size of the loans they'll give now. They'll give loans up to $30 million. So that way, CPA businesses can invest in niche vertical industries, technology, acquisitions, uh, growth-focused initiatives. So they're if you're a CPA firm and you want to take a loan, you can mm. get a much bigger loan for your merger and acquisition activities. Shall we move into app news? Yeah. Speaking of outsourcing, one of the options for dealing with the talent crunch, 
I saw news that Botkeeper has raised $42 million in Series C funding from the Paychex founder and chairman, Tom Golisano. Golisano is going to take a seat on Botkeeper's six-member board of directors. So Botkeeper, listeners may remember, started out as a competitor to bookkeeping accounting firms offering bot-enabled AI-driven bookkeeping direct to businesses. They have since pivoted to working with accounting firms to offer offshore bookkeeping accounting, outsourced bookkeeping accounting. And now they are, I think, more upfront about the much more. So well, in theory, if I want to add a cast division to my company, I could possibly just partner with Botkeeper and possibly offer this. Exactly. Using, and, they, they call this now the Botkeeper Operating System, BOS. And that is that is a big opportunity. So I think Botkeeper's on the right path with this, empowering accounting firms to offer CAS because of the talent shortage where they couldn't recruit the staff to do it. And if they can figure out the recipe that you know works for these firms and their clients, then there's a lot of opportunity for growth. Just because CAS is the growth opportunity in small and mid-sized accounting firms. It's the, the probably the fastest growing service line. Uh, speaking of raises, Patriot Software, they had a raise. So Patriot, they're, you probably know more as Patriot, Patriot Payroll. They had a pretty big presence at Scaling New Heights. They've been around for a little while now, um, just slowly building up their their growth, right, with the QuickBooks Pro Advisors, and they connect to QuickBooks, and they've just been growing really well. Well, they took a massive investment, and I, I can see the episode headline if we want it to be, Walmart investing cloud accounting. No, it's not directly Walmart, but it's the investment arm of the Walton family. So, so it's Walmart money, you know, yeah. in a way from from uh, family money. So they, they it's an undisclosed amount. Um, and what's interesting about Patriot, Patriot actually was self-funded for many years. Hmm. And then they kind of did this weird thing on their website where you could get, go there and possibly invest directly in for a little while. They had, I remember they had something set up like that, but it ultimately, you know, now they've taken their first series A. So they're probably on that, that March to grow. Microsoft is bringing JavaScript to Excel. I shared this out on Twitter, and I think it's like the most viral tweet I've ever had. <laughs> People get really excited about Excel, and it will never die because of this. It will live forever, especially now that it has coding built into it. This is different. This is way bigger than macros and visual. Was it Visual Basic? And this is its march there. to be to compete with products like. Airtable, mm-hmm. and to be part of everybody's no-code stack, if you, and, sto- and it's Microsoft. It's part of Microsoft's no-code story. That's right. That's right. And they they actually had a huge set of announcements this week, which we'll get into more after this. Uh, so, what's new with the the Excel update? So, with this update, it's a new API that allows you to plug in. JavaScript code and create custom data types and functions based on them. So essentially, if Excel doesn't have the data type you want, you can create it and you can program it and you can integrate it with your spreadsheets. So I think the possibilities for this are really unlimited. You can now be, turn Excel into a computer program, uh, essentially, right? Using Excel as like the front end or the database for it. I mean, very powerful. Of course, uh, I'm curious about the uh, implications for security, right? How do you how do you keep a spreadsheet secure? It was already a problem with like macros, so 
are we are we now going to have a bunch of you know ransomware attacks through this Excel uh, JavaScript thing? We'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's the classic. <laughs> Open the spreadsheet. Oh no. Yeah, the macro runs some sort of program that then you know infects your computer and you get ransomware hacked. Right. It's that's actually surprising that accounting firms aren't subject to more ransomware just because the odds of somebody in an accounting firm opening an email with an Excel attachment and code executing is so much higher than the average small business owner, right? I think there's a lot more ransomware going on. They just don't, we don't find out about it because it gets paid off or the system gets wiped and recovered and no accounting firm is going to admit that they got ransomware. They got hacked. Like it would destroy your reputation and your business. So a lot of this stuff gets swept under the rug. And the owners just pay the tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands to get unransomware, to get unlocked. So I mentioned that Microsoft had a ton of updates. They did. They they announced a bunch of stuff, and I have yet to digest it. Uh, but I'll I'll go through the top level highlights here. Isn't this like some sort of like world? Is it something called Loom or like Loop? Loop. Loop. Okay. Yeah. So this is one of the announcements. Microsoft has introduced something called Microsoft Loop. Think, plan, create together. It seems like a way to tie together a bunch of different Microsoft apps in the suite of Office. Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, Teams. Teams has been tying things together. So so what does Loop do? There are three elements, Loop Components, Loop Pages, and Loop Workspaces. Loop components are, I guess you could think of them as widgets. They could be lists, tables, notes, tasks, or even a customer sales opportunity from Dynamics 365. And you can embed these loop components all over the Office suite in different places, and they stay synced together. So imagine a table that is in one app, say Word. I don't know if it works in Word, but... And then you can see it in, I don't know, an Outlook email, and they're synced. Or you're going back to the old paper days at firms, right? The checklist of everything you have to do for that client is stapled to the front of that folder. And that stays in sync and somewhere else. And you yeah. could actually just have this exist digitally. And everywhere you travel through the Microsoft Office suite, it's kind of there. And you can see it. And yeah. if you have to do some of the work for that client in, in Outlook and book their appointment, you can do it and check it off and then go to Excel, do some work for the client, check it off, and you're not having to reopen mm-hmm. that form wherever, wherever its original location is. And loop pages, this really reminds me of Notion. So it's a canvas basically where you can organize different loop components, pull in other elements like files, links, or data, and create that collaboration wiki document. Seems like everybody's adding that now. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's so important. And, and I really like this approach. Like I kind of go back and forth between my central organization principle being a task list versus a wiki. And I'm on the wiki side again, because ultimately everything that I do needs to be documented somewhere. And so if you start from the point of like, this is a virtual notebook, like Outlook, not Outlook, um, OneNote or Notion, that just seems to work for me. Whereas if I start with a list-based approach, like in Asana or in ClickUp, I just lose track of things. So I think this could be really helpful for folks who like the Notion approach. So that's worth taking a look at. There's also a new integration with Microsoft Teams and Microsoft Dynamics 365. They're 
pulling more of that CRM stuff into Teams. So for example, you can connect with your team in chat and search for a Dynamics 365 sales customer record directly from within Teams, all without needing to switch apps. You know, this really reminds me of what Slack's been doing for a while, integrating apps in so that your team can just interact within the chat rather than having to go out to a different system. You know, considering how many firms, and and, and I mean, I've mentioned this when we talked last week, talking about our Scaling New Heights wrap up, like we're still or at these conferences, like we're still in a Microsoft world. You look at people, yeah, yeah. open up all their laptops and you scan the room, everybody's inside of Outlook. Like we're, and, and we know Excel is huge in our industry. I, I wonder if like developers, like uh, third-party app developers that are obviously integrating with QuickBooks and Zero and integrating with each other, if they need to start thinking of ways to embed themselves into the Office 365 Microsoft workflows a little bit more. Yeah. Well, a lot of them are. Maybe not as much in our space, but definitely. Oh, yeah. There's definitely, yes, there's definitely a whole yeah. world out there. But I'm wondering if like, you know, apps that we talk about on the show all the time. You know, it doesn't make well, sense for Augusto to get their workflow into the Office 365 stuff. I don't know. Well, let's take a look because there is a Microsoft Teams app store and they say there's a thousand apps now available in Teams. So I'm curious if there are any accounting apps. There's a finance section and there's an accounting section and Zero has a Power BI connector here. There is... Interesting. No, not not a lot of apps that I would expect to see that are in, say, the Zero Marketplace or the QuickBooks Marketplace. I'm not seeing a ton. So yeah, opportunity here. Stripe is in here. There's an Excel importer, of course. XE Global Business Payments. Seems kind of like uh, fresh ground Yeah. here. Did you see news that uh, the, the HubDoc founders, or they, you know, that, that's like friendly, we just call them Jamie and Jamie, but... Uh... Jamie McDonald is going to join as a CEO, and Jamie Schulman's going to be the head of accounting, uh, head of accounting for A to X. So A to X is a it, it, the original name comes from Amazon to Zero, but they actually support like Shopify and other shopping carts now, eBay, Amazon, Etsy, to to get that data f- from those services into your e-commerce shopping cart places into QuickBooks and Zero. Yeah, that was big news, and a lot of people were cheering that. So I'm curious what the direction of A2X is going to be because like you like you said it started out as just a way to integrate Amazon into Zero but they seem to be doing a whole lot more now. They're really tackling the problem of e-commerce accounting. So are they going to become more than a bridge between these e-commerce selling platforms and accounting software? What are they where are they going with this? And Jimmy McDonald's a great quote in this, right? Given the complexity of online selling, we think every business is going to have an online component in the future, right? So there's an opportunity here because if every business is going to be an online business, they're going to need services like this. And this is why I think Intuit did the MailChimp thing, like or with QuickBooks, like everybody's going to have to have some sort of online support. And I mean, Intuit's made three investments in this now between the inventory mm-hmm. company and the they bought one SaaS. Online selling is the future. Every business yep. is going to be doing it. We got some updates from Zero for November 2021. Uh, the first thing to mention is that the bank rec is getting fixed. The new bank rec. You remember our conversation about that, David? Previous episode. Accountants got pretty upset when Zero rolled out the new bank reconciliation page because 
it was beautifully designed, but only showed a handful of transactions on a single page. It didn't have an accountant's and power view, right? Which it is yeah. like Excel, a set of a table, a table view. Well, they are now going to have the option to choose between the zoomed in view or a compact view that displays more transactions on the screen. You can just toggle between the regular view and the compact view. And that way you'll be able to see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven transactions on the screen as in the uh, uh, example. That's the compact view? That's the compact view, yes. I think before it was like on a typical screen, you could see maybe three. I mean, compact so that was, doesn't feel very compact. Like, like I, give, accounts want rows. How many rows? You can fit 45 rows of, on Excel, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, a lot, yeah. Give People us want more. rows, right? They, they, that's essentially what accounts are asking for. Well, that's what the cache coding is. They have the cache coding, but that doesn't let you match. Yeah. So they need something where you can match in the cache coding, like spreadsheet view. That would be great. But anyway, it's a good, quick way to uh They're listening address. and addressing. What else is new in Zero? Now you can get more customization in your reports. This is a global release that lets you add total and year-to-date columns on your P&Ls. There are now text blocks and footers in reports. You can insert a comment and add text blocks and footers without needing to open the layout editor. This is a feature that was available in the older version of the reports, which they're trying to sunset, and they've now added it in the new one. You can now access commonly used reports with one click. There's one-click access to common formats that allow you to quickly navigate to commonly used date ranges and periods for your income statements and balance sheets. This is super helpful because it was always annoying to have to go in and customize a report just to see one of these common views. What else? You can now get better visibility into repeat invoices. So if you're creating an invoice in the new invoicing that has been generated from a repeat template, a notification banner will now appear notifying you of the invoice frequency as well as directly link you to the repeat invoice template itself. This way you can get better visibility at a glance and stay on top of your invoicing activity. And finally, there's a new report center in the US. You can group reports under clear headings that can be collapsed or expanded. And you have the option to toggle report descriptions on or off as well as enhanced search functionality so you can easily search for a report even if you don't know the name. You can also have quick access to your favorite reports from the top of the page or accounting menu. So basically all improvements to reports, which makes me think back to our discussion with Evan Goldberg at NetSuite, at SuiteWorld, where he talked about the guiding principle with NetSuite is it's great to get your data in, but the most important thing is to be able to get your data out. That's why you have the system in the first place. So it's great to see Zero working on the reports because what's the point of having great accounting data if you can't report on it? Square released their uh, earnings. And so I kind of dove into that a little bit, just a couple of small highlights that caught my eye. In the third quarter, they're mid-market sellers. So those are basically, they're sellers that have uh, more than a half a million in analyzed um, gross payment volume. They grew their profit twice as fast as their other sellers, which I thought was very, very interesting. So the the big, the the strong got stronger, and if that's a way to think mm-hmm. about saying that. We've talked about Square invoices before. They launched that. Um, but that has now the uh, process they're on the year now they process 12 billion in gross payment volume on square invoices now and that's up 2x from two years ago so you know square is not messing around when it comes to these other functions they're doing in their business uh, and then the other thing doesn't really apply to us but they're going to let you give cash app and spin up direct deposit in the cash card for your kids if you want 
Oh, so I can give my son uh, his allowance on a on a debit card or a square? Uh, what is it? Wait, is it square? Square? Yeah, card? square debit card. And which <laughs> I mean, like I did that with my kid. We were in New York City. I took got him on the Cash App. I was like, great. Now you could get a like, little debit card, and then we'll let him get a debit card. Mm. Right. And so I still had basically what I do is I just give him my debit card for my Cash App. Ah. Because so he can use it to go buy. You know, if he's out walking around New York City, he wants to buy something, he can because I can just juice it up. Like yeah. I put a hundred bucks on it and it's good. So if he loses it, it's not the end of the world because you don't want to give your kid your real credit card, walk around the city by himself. Heck no. So, so it's good to know like that that's kind of, I mean, it has nothing to do with us though, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked about QuickBooks Connect. I don't know if we talked about all of the um, announcements that happened there. There was one that was reported in accounting today. Intuit has announced a new revenue sharing program and new bookkeeping workflow features. Did, were you there when they talked about this? I didn't make it to yes, the- Yes, I was at this. Uh, I did sit through okay. that. So apparently now when accountants start a new QBO or QBO payroll subscription, they can choose revenue share as the billing option. So clients pay into it every month and the accountants get 30% of the build price for 12 months. So it used to be that you had to put the client on your accountant dashboard in order to, to get the discount and then you had to bill the client. This is going to- make things a lot easier for you if you don't want to do that. And this ties to that desktop enabling, right? I think one of the reasons desktop gets pushed, QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise, is because there's a fat kind of commission on it that oh, yeah. people get if they sell it. So what, what's QuickBooks Online Advance, 150 bucks? I think that's the list, but it gets discounted quite a bit. Let's take a look right let's now where it's at. Yeah, the, let's just use the list price, $150 times 12, is eighteen hundred dollars times 0.3. Oh, it's up to one eighty, David. Okay, so one hundred eighty bucks times month. twelve months, and then we want to do times 0.3, right? So your commission—if you put something on QuickBooks Online Advance in theory through this rev share—would be six hundred forty-eight dollars. Like, well, it's so the let's see, it's but it's nine. Okay, so it's ninety dollars a month for three months, and then it goes up to one eighty. So basically, let's see, 90 times three, 270. So the customer is going to be paying $1,890 for that first year. And the commission is 30%. So the accountant gets $567. So what's the typical commission on a enterprise? I don't sale? know, but I think it's still bigger. I'm not positive. Maybe I think a listener is, can call yeah. in and let us know. But like, part of me is wondering, like, hey, if you pump this commission up high enough, it will the motivation for people to push people on enterprise might go away. Right, right, yeah. Incentive people, incentivize people the right way. Yeah. So, if any listeners um, want to com comment about, are you making more money on QuickBooks Desktop when you install that, or you sell a QuickBooks Enterprise over this QBO commission? Would be great information for us to know on the show. And I'd love to know if that's one of the reasons why you continue to promote desktop because of the uh, financial incentive. And you could call in anonymously, let us know anonymously if you don't want to share that information uh, of who you are. We just would love to know. I suspect that's true only because I, I've, I've met plenty of businesses that are very teeny and they're on QuickBooks Enterprise. Yeah. I think Enterprise might be like close to double. That's my guess. So Intuit also announced Books Review, a revamp of its end-to-end -end workflow feature, month-end review that was introduced last year to break the bookkeeping flow into the three steps of transaction review, account reconciliation, and final review. So it's been renamed to Books Review and now has more capabilities. 
to apply more processes to help accountants deliver books even outside the monthly window. It includes bookkeeping setup and bookkeeping wrap-up capabilities with transaction collaboration coming soon. I wonder what that is. So, so you know, maybe I have a, a transaction that's not categorized. Right. I can communicate with you, my client, like, what did you spend this money on, Blake? And then you could reply and then I back. Could, yeah, probably within the mobile app or something like that. Yeah. That sounds right. So... Basically, it's it's building workflows around yeah doing the the accounting for folks doing the bookkeeping. I wonder if they're using this in QuickBooks Live, and that's part of the reason this is getting built because they're noticing oh, we need something to manage this. I think we and, loosely guessed that would be the case. I think when we were at QuickBooks Connect, and we I even think we half asked Arij about this, and I think she opened and ago. said like yeah two, years ago years ago, yeah. and that yes they intend to anything they build internally. They want to release to the accounting community as well. So yeah. you're right. Like these are probably things they had to build for themselves. And eventually it's going to trickle out to all pro advisors. I think that's it for Intuit's announcements at QB Connect. And that's it for my news. What about you? I got one more small thing. Uh, AICPA has opened up the .CPA web domain in Canada. So if you are a Canadian CPA, a Canadian CPA firm, you can now get the .cpa web address to strengthen your brand. It is live now. You have to be licensed to get it. And the preferred names are available on a first-come, first-served basis. So head on over there if you want to grab one. Hopefully there's some good ones still left and you don't have to get Blake2 at cpa.com. <laughs> I, there's actually a lot, uh, I think, of still available. I mean, th- you think about um, you know domain names, in the general public, you're fighting over fighting with everyone in the world. And the nice thing about the .CPA, I have to give it to them, is that you're only battling, you know, a few hundred thousand other people. And how many of them are actually going to go out and pay <laughs> exactly? How slow are they? For like, a domain? Are they be able to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot. So if you do this, if you do it and just redirect it and at least buy it and own it, you don't have to use yeah. it yet. But it's expensive um, though too. That's but you could take your QuickBooks online commission and use it to buy your <laughs> your domain. So, David, that's it for this week. If folks want to get in touch with you, where can they do it? I'm on all the socials. It's just at David Leary. I am at Blake T. Oliver. If you want to give us feedback on any of the stories in the show or just anything you, you want to say, email us a voice memo. Record a voice memo with your phone and email it to Blake at BlakeOliver.com. I'll share it with David. We will listen and we will likely play it on the air. I'll see you here next week, David. Right. Bye, everyone. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to quickly grow a scalable, systematic seven-figure accounting firm without having to work 50 plus hours per week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Sign around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. Hey, podcast listeners. It's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA-slash-comedian Greg Kite and blogger-slash-former-CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. 
That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.